The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 364. I get many questions about what parents can do to support their children who might be struggling uh, with OCD and anxiety. And today's show is all about that. I have a very special guest, Dr. Stephen Whiteside. I'll be introducing him in just a minute. And he's going to be helping us to kind of understand much better what we can do to support young people who might be struggling with OCD and anxiety. Now, if you uh, if you would like to get some uh, extra support with that, you can actually get a free session with me. Unfortunately, I don't work with, with children or young people, but if you're an adult and you are struggling with OCD, then feel free to, to get in touch. You can head over to my website, robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can sign up for the free session, or if you prefer, you can send me a message uh, to let me know about what you're struggling with. So, Dr. Stephen Whiteside, PhD, is a board-certified clinical psychologist, professor of psychology in the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, and director of the Paediatric Anxiety Disorders Program at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Now, we, we get into lots of different things during this conversation. You know, obviously, he's, he's a kind of seasoned child psychologist working at the Mayo Clinic, And yeah, he specializes in in treating children and teenagers who may be struggling with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. He has over two decades of experience. And Dr. Whiteside today, he really kind of goes into detail about the, the importance of exposure therapy involving both children and their parents as a kind of unified team to tackle OCD and anxiety head on. He shares insightful perspectives on the evolving challenges of mental health in in the youth, influenced by social media and the recent pandemic, underscoring the critical role of parental support in the therapeutic process. Dr. Whiteside also introduces his book, Anxiety Coach, A Parent's Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD. I highly recommend that you check that out. You can find it on Amazon, of course. And yeah, this is a great resource for parents who who might be seeking to understand and navigate the complexities of their child's anxiety or OCD. So yeah, this conversation I think you'll find is a kind of tre- a treasure trove of of wisdom for anybody looking to deepen their understanding of childhood anxiety and OCD. You know, and I really hope that it will answer some of your questions and that you'll you'll find it helpful. And yeah, as always, if you have any questions at all about anything we speak about today, do please let me know. Yeah, and if you would like to find out more about Dr. Whiteside, you can follow the the links in the show notes. There'll also be a link there to to his book. So yeah, many thanks, guys. I hope you enjoy. And off we go. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, it's great. To, it's great to have you on. We were just having a quick chat there prior to starting the podcast about about your background, and I think it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, you're you're a child psychologist, and I think this is something that we haven't spoken about before on the podcast so much about children and OCD. Something which is really really important: how to help children who might be struggling with with OCD and anxiety. So it's really great to to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've spent, oh my gosh, probably getting over 20 years now working with kids and, and teenagers with anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, so yeah, could you give us a bit more background then about, obviously you've been working in this field for a long time. Could you kind of tell us a bit more about it, please? Yeah. So uh, again, my, you know, my name is Dr. Steve Whitehead. I'm a child psychologist. I work at Mayo Clinic in, in Minnesota in the States. And I've been there since 2001. I'm currently the director of our pediatric anxiety disorders clinic. Uh, we, uh, our treatment is, is pretty standard exposure therapy with response prevention. There are a couple of things that make our then kind of the, the typical approaches. The first is that we always work with kids and teenagers together with their parents because we just simply believe that everyone will be more successful if they've got people to help them and we should handle this as a team rather than having people feel like they have to confront these things on their own. Mm. Uh, and the, the second thing is that we spend all of our time and energy focused on exposure, helping kids face their fears, break OCD's rules, and learn that what anxiety and OCD is telling them is probably not going to come true and helping them build their confidence step by step. Fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. So you you focus on exposure. Do you do you follow other treatment modalities as well, like acceptance commitment therapy or other other approaches, or is it very much focused on exposure work? Yeah, it's so there's probably two answers to that. So the, the first answer and the simplistic answer is that we focus on exposure because you know, based on kind of the research we've done and the understanding of the research, and obviously more needs to be done to fully understand and answer these questions, mm. that the the action, the therapeutic approach that will give the most help is exposure. In the moment, learning through your own experience that anxiety or OCD is lying to you. Now, of course, some people need help, need more help getting to that spot. And some people, not everything works for everybody. So some people need a little bit more focus on, on helping them change their beliefs. Some people need a little bit more help putting things you know, with motivation, putting things into perspective of what's important to them. So kind of acceptance, commitment. Some people need more focus on accepting emotions. Some people need more, some kids need more behavioral work to be more cooperative. So we're flexible to add things in, but kind of the overriding message is that we start with exposure and we stick with exposure until it's clear that that's not going to be sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's great. And what would you say then is the kind of main difference with with working with children who are struggling with anxiety uh, problems compared to working with with adults? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and I should I should answer that. I should acknowledge that I haven't worked with adults for probably twenty years. So. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, I, I spent, I just focused with kids and I, I'm fortunate enough because kids and teenagers and their families are just wonderful to work with. Um, so I, I, but I think there's, there's kind of, again, again, two answers. Number one, I think the most important answer is that there 
is not a difference between working with kids and teenagers and adults because we need to approach the same way. We need to help people face their fears, learn that they don't experience it's not as bad as they thought. And when we sit, when we start to think, well, gosh, kids and teenagers are not as developed, they can't handle that the way adults can, we do them a disservice because we don't, we're not acknowledging how resilient they are and we are softening the treatment or dumbing down the treatment in a way that makes it mm. less effective. So that's one answer. Yeah. The other answer is obviously there are differences, you know, between kids and teenagers because of independence. And so, you know, we're always cognizant of, of you know, the, a child's developmental level and can they understand what we're trying to accomplish? And we try to simplify things when needed. And the other big difference is parents. Parents are a built-in support system who are there to help kids do exposures between sessions. And it's hard. I mean, doing exposure, it's hard work. It's uncomfortable. It's just another thing you have to do in a busy life. And having parents there who can help kids do that is an amazing asset, which... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see how how parents are, you know, a re a, just a really, really important part of that puzzle, no? Because we all know how how difficult exposure work can be sometimes, you know, and almost like homework for, for, for a child or a teenager. They may try to put that off. They may try to say, well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Or I'm going to do it later. And I can imagine that actually having parents there, making sure that their, their child is, you know, really doing that difficult work. I'm sure some children can do it without. But generally speaking, I imagine having the parents there is is incredibly important. Yeah, no, for, yeah, for the exact reasons that you're describing, it's hard for everybody. You know, I just think about myself. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I've got lower back pain, and I should do my my you know PT just works amazingly, but I don't do it enough. It's only when my back starts to hurt more I do it for a couple of days, and I say, it's just hard. And so having someone else there just to simply say, nope, we can't do it tomorrow. We got to do it today and tomorrow is super important. And also parents are going to be involved in their kids' anxiety and OCD. When kids, especially, but kids and teenagers feel nervous and worried or are having obsessive thoughts, they very naturally go to their parents and their parents very mm -hmm. naturally want to fix things and help them their child feel better in the moment. Uh, that's all very natural. But when you're stuck in an anxiety or OCD cycle, that help from parents just you know, it's, it's like doing a ritual, it's avoiding it, kicks the can down the road. So parents need to know how to respond in a different way that helps their child get better down the road rather than feeling better in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I really agree with that. Okay. And so there, would you say that right now there, there seems to be more young people who are, who seem to be struggling with, with anxiety? Yeah, that, <clears throat> that seems to be the case. There is, you know, that, I get that question quite a bit. And, and so there has been research more so looking in, a, in adults and, and, young, and uh, young, young adults and older teens that anxiety and depression have been increasing for the past few decades. So that's kind of been established for a while. And the rates of anxiety in, in, uh, in, in general and depression in kids have been increasing more recently. And then with the, with the pandemic, sort of scrambled everything and appeared, you know, that also has led to an increase in, in rates of anxiety and depression. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear about obviously social media use and, you know, all of the pitfalls in, involved with, with that in terms of kind of cheap dopamine chasing and trying to keep up with the Joneses and 
all of that kind of effect and do you think that maybe social media is is a big a big part of that yeah yeah so in terms of what i think and what is and what is probably the the truth are probably two different things so yes i personally think social media is probably a challenge I, you know my understanding of the research is that social media probably doesn't affect most kids but when there are kids who are at risk social media can be a pretty negative influence the way I like to think, I, I like to think about kind of social media use in a in a, just a really practical way, kind of highlighting some of the points that you brought up, that when you're on social media, you are, it's a pressure to present yourself in a positive, engaging way. There is this constant you know, false comparison, like on social media, everyone looks like they're having a great time all the time. And so there's this sense that you're missing out because you're not involved in that. And then also just very practically, if you're sitting on your phone or you know, technology, you're not physically interacting with the people around you. You're not doing something active. And might be, you, know, you might be doing it at night and, and you know, affecting your, your sleep. And just all those things are likely to make you less happy, more anxious. And so limiting social media and technology is probably just a very good for just very practical reasons. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I just know it myself when I spend less time on my phone, even though, you know, a big part of the job sometimes is actually using social media frustratingly, even this podcast is obviously social media. So yeah, it, but yeah, when we uh, are using it too much, of course, I think it has an impact. Okay. And would you say that in, in terms of OCD and, and young people, is there, are there certain themes that, that seem to kind of crop up on a more regular basis? I know themes aren't necessarily like the important thing with OCD. Often the theme can be quite, quite irrelevant to, to OCD. It's more the underlying mechanism. But are there certain themes that do seem to, to kind of pop up more often with, with young people? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's similar to with adults, contamination. So fears that if I touch this, I will get dirty and I have to wash it off. Oftentimes with kids, you know, sometimes that, that fear of contamination is very clearly linked to if I'm contaminated, I'm going to get sick and die. Often, but oftentimes it's, it's more of a vague it doesn't feel right. I feel dirty. I know I won't get sick or anything bad will happen. I just can't handle this. I don't want to spread this contamination around. I just can't. That's just, it's just too much. That's overwhelming. Mm, yeah. Other kind of OCD themes are uh, intrusive thoughts about having done something wrong, you know, and particularly with kids in uh, you know, the, the ritual may be Parents are often involved in rituals, so confessing to parents, asking for reassurance that they didn't do something inappropriate or they didn't do something wrong, uh, and then just having to do things a certain way, kind of just right OCD, having to touch, tap, rub things, step in a certain way, are also pretty common. Yeah, and and I think you know maybe uh, teenagers who are experiencing exams and all of that kind of thing, that can be a lot of pressure, no? And I can see how that, get, getting that just right feeling in, in relation to, to those kinds of things could become a problem quite easily. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's an excellent point. You know, and so in terms of anxiety, 
the, you know, anxiety over the over the age span. You know, when, when kids are younger, more frequently we're seeing separation anxiety, nervousness about being away from their parents, separating to go to school, staying home alone, sleeping alone, and more and you know, specific phobias of the dark. Once kids start to become school age and as interactions and you know, friendships and interactions with peers become more important relatively to kind of relationships with parents, then social anxiety really starts to to rear its head with kids start worrying about, am I saying the wrong thing? Or are people going to laugh at me and kind of extreme shyness? And then, as you mentioned, once they start getting into the teenage years, more general worries about how am I doing academically? worrying about grades, even though they're doing really well, starting to worry about the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a challenging time for for sure, those teenage years. But as you pointed out, there's different challenges the whole way through childhood as we as they go through. There's lots of things to potentially get get anxious about. So so yeah, do you do you find that obviously um in, in recent years mindfulness has become you know, a very kind of important area with of, of of kind of mental health and helping people to to keep themselves a bit more in the present to direct their focus and their attention where they need it to be. Do you do you find that that meditation mindfulness is well? I'm, I'm sure it is <laughs> helpful for kids too, but I can imagine that you might have to adapt it for them. Yeah. It, so so. Yes, I think I think mindfulness and meditation are are great activities. They're great concepts. One of the things I one of the things I think is really help really a good contribution from this what's sometimes called the third wave cognitive behavioral therapies is focus on acceptance mindfulness is the switch from cognitive behavioral therapy where or cognitive therapy where the goal was to take a thought like I'm going to get sick and die or I'm going to fail this test and then kind of try to evaluate it rationally and kind of argue against it. So yeah, I'm probably not going to get sick because lots of people touch doorknobs. I've touched doorknobs. And so it's probably not going to happen. That's an irrational thought. I should let it go. Or I've done well before. And even if I didn't do well, I can. You know, so that was the previous approach. And then the mindfulness acceptance commitment approach was that can turn into avoidance Part and you're the problem, pushing yeah. Away, yeah you're pushing away this unpleasant thought yeah um, and so so i i think that's a super important shift in the mindset and so the way we approach that is by repeating the way we do exposures to intrusive thoughts whether it be ocd or memories of of upsetting events or just general worries about the future is having kids repeat those thoughts over and over and over again until they get boring so it's a similar belief to mindfulness and acceptance that we shouldn't replace thoughts, but we shouldn't try to argue against them. We should accept them. The main difference between doing this approach and acceptance and mindfulness is a more active repeating it. So I'm repeating it. I'm facing it rather than more of a passive acceptance. Yeah. So partly that fits with kind of our general focus on exposure. Partly, to be honest, that just kind of fits better with my personality. I like to be active and doing things rather than sitting back and accepting them. I think there's value because one one concern I have when we just take an acceptance and commitment approach is that you're, when things pop up, you focus on handling them, which is an exposure of sorts, but there's less of a 
emphasis on purposely going and doing things that make you nervous to kind of overlearn and and learn through and purposely make experiences to learn that anxiety and OCD is, is, is lying to you. People who focus more on mindfulness and acceptance and commitment would say this idea of repeating thoughts is has the goal of reducing anxiety, which is the opposite of accepting the anxiety. And I, I see that argument, but in general, we're consistent with mindfulness and acceptance and commitment that you need to accept how you feel, not push away those feelings. Yeah. There are similarities and differences, but overall, yeah. most similarities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you can really get into it with that, trying to to kind of figure that out. But yeah, there's a bit of a contradiction there, but somehow they do work together really well and they seem to complement each other, I think. I, yeah, I, I, okay. Uh, what about for people who uh, maybe struggle with the concept of acceptance? You know, obviously it's 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 a really kind of overused word with with a good reason. As you pointed out, as as these new modalities have come in, this word uh, acceptance is used a lot, but some people find it difficult. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend people who find acceptance difficult? Yeah. So, so I I, I guess I, I would say the way that we approach, kind of the way that acceptance kind of fits in with our exposure approach, is accepting feelings and not pushing them away. And sometimes we use like an, a, a basketball uh, analogy. If you push a basketball away from you, it's going to bounce right back towards you. And thoughts, fears, feelings are the same way. You try to push them away, they bounce right back. Mm. So sort of a metaphor we use for accepting the feeling in, in the moment. But we try to differentiate that from, yes, we need to ex- accept how we feel, but we don't need to accept the problems that anxiety and OCD are causing. And we don't need to accept the idea that I'm always going to be under this amount of distress or suffering. So we need to accept how we're feeling because if we push that away, it's going to bounce back. But we also need to remain hopeful and optimistic that if we take these actions, we do these things differently, we face our fears, we stop the rituals. Yes, we will feel better. Sorry, yes, we'll feel worse in the moment. We have to accept that, but we will begin to eventually feel better over time. So trying to kind of as you mentioned, when you say acceptance, like, oh, I just have to accept this? No, you don't have to accept the way things are. Um, yeah. Accept yeah. certain things and change other things. Absolutely. I think mean, that's a really great point there. Sometimes I like to kind of point out to people that with, with OCD, a lot of the time what we're doing is if you imagine a beautiful painting and, you know, you're you're kind of looking at the painting, but you Actually, all you're really looking at is the bottom right-hand corner where there's some imperfection that's really bugging you. You really don't like it. And you're refusing to lift up your eyes and take in the rest of this beautiful picture. Everything everything else in that picture is amazing. It's all working. But there's this one little thing that's not quite right. And our eyes are stuck on it almost. And, you know, I think that hopefulness is almost this idea of lifting up our heads and taking in that whole picture. Yeah. Oh, I like that metaphor. That's nice. (laughs) Cool. Okay. And so for parents who are listening, and I imagine there's probably quite a few, could you kind of uh, like tell us what, what are kind of some of the most important things that that parents really need to be doing in order to support their children with OCD or or anxiety? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, so I wrote the, this book, Anxiety Coach, A Parent's Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD to, to answer that question, to specifically give parents and hopefully a relatively short and hopefully relatively easy read the basics of how we in our clinic help kids and their parents work on anxiety and OCD. And so the first, the first piece is recognition is understanding whether or not your child, what your child's experiencing is best described as anxiety or OCD. So that's where we start in the first section of the book. That's where we start in the assessment when people and families come to us in our clinic. That's the first goal is, is determining is what your child experienced an anxiety disorder or OCD. And, and we, we sort of lump those two together because they co-occur. Anxiety and OCD go together quite a bit and we treat them all the same through exposure. So we lump them together. And, and the way we define an anxiety disorder and OCD is simply when kids are feeling more nervous, worried, or afraid than we would expect them to. And there are a couple things that we want to help families separate that from. So sometimes kids are nervous because things are not going well. So they're mm. nervous to go to school. They're nervous to be around other kids because they're being teased. They're being bullied. They're nervous about their schoolwork because they don't understand and they're not getting their homework done and they're failing and they're bad, getting bad grades. They're nervous about their parents because they're arguing and yelling quite a bit. And, and that's not an anxiety disorder. In that situation, the kids are feeling nervous and worried about as much as we would expect. Anyone would be nervous in that situation. And so we don't face our fears of when things are bad. We don't send kids to get bullied over and over again until they learn it's not so bad. We try to help them avoid and we try to help fix the, the underlying situation. So that's the first thing we want to separate things from. Because with an anxiety disorder, things are going fine. Kids are treating them well. Things are stable at home. They're getting good grades but yet they're still nervous and worried about the possibility things won't go well. So that's sort of the first step. And from that understanding that kids are more nervous, worried, and afraid than we would expect them to be, that's how we then get to the next step of what do we do to help them? And that's where exposure therapy comes in. Because we can't talk kids out of what they believe and expect because our beliefs and expect expectations are based on our experience. So our job is to help give them the experience of talking to people, petting dogs, repeating worried thoughts, touching germy things, putting things out of order, not correcting it with rituals or avoidance or their parents helping them, and learning that, you know what, actually it made me really nervous at first, but nothing bad happened and my anxiety went down and I can handle that and I think I can probably do it again. So that's the whole essence of what we try to do. And as we were talking earlier, parents are a super important part of that. So, so we first help parents understand what an anxiety disorder and OCD are, help them understand kind of what sets off their child's anxiety, what do they do to avoid, and then teach them and their child how to do exposures, how to pick something to face their fears, how to stick with it, how to focus, how to make sure they're not doing rituals, and how to learn from it. So the whole point of an exposure is checking in and saying, did your fear come true? No, or yeah, but I handled it. And what happened to your anxiety? It went down or it stayed high, but I was able to manage it. I was able to accept it and, and continue with the exposure. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really clear as well. So thank you for that. And what, what kind of things should parents avoid doing, which is probably just as important? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, 
the the general idea that I have to help my child face their fears is you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. The application of it is really difficult because you know some things we do is exposure, like going around and touching germs or repeating anxious thoughts or purposely bringing on panic feelings are sort of strange. Nobody just does that on their own. So it's hard. And so you know that's where we come in is parents often need some help planning and doing that. Uh, and then so so the, the obstacles that parents usually kind of encounter are most parents understand the need for exposure and are ready to go, but usually they're hesitant. It seems a little too simple. Seems hard. I feel anxious and upset about you know doing things that purposely make my child more upset. So that's that's the first obstacle to get over is to have some mm. confidence that this will work. And that's why we have kids and parents do exposures in the session with us so that everyone learns their own experience. Parents see their kids get nervous, see them get through it, and then through that experience, parents feel more comfortable doing it again at home. And as as you as we were talking about earlier. Kids are rarely super excited to do this every day <laughs> for good reason. It's challenging. So kids generally want to go slowly because this is hard. And parents are excited like, oh, wow, we have a solution now. I want my child to get better. So meeting in the middle. So how? So parents all the time ask, how do I know when to push? How do I know if I'm pushing too hard? How do I know if I'm not pushing hard enough? And that's a super good qu question because there's no exact right answer. And it's just we just learn through our experience. Parents don't have to be perfect. Parents can make mistakes by not pushing hard enough and it takes too long and they get impatient. That's fine. Parents can make mistakes and push too hard and their child pushes back and they learn from that and that's fine. We just need to pay attention. As long as parents are being warm and patient with their child, working with their child to take small steps, they're on the right path. Mm, yeah. It sounds like a very kind of compassionate approach, bringing compassion to to the situation, both for the child, but also, you know, to the parents like, needing to bring that self-compassion to themselves in that situation as well, because it must be difficult to experience your children going through something like this. And, yes. you know, like, like you say, if you're patient and you show that care and that love, you know, and you're consistent, then, you know, it sounds like that's, that's the key. That is the that is the rock. That is the foundation. Is compassion for your child and for yourself, because anxiety and OCD is you know driven by fear, disgust, negative emotions. And when parents have more negative emotions, that leads over to their kids, contagious to their kids, and they have more negative emotion. That just makes everything worse. And so, being warm and compassionate for yourself and your child is the foundation. And then the next step is being firm and disciplined to gradually face fears is to break mm -hmm. those patterns. And that's hard because, you know, one, it's, it's unpleasant to see your child being distressed. And two, as a parent, I know we love fixing problems and there is nothing, especially when your kids get older, and they you know, want less to do with you because they want to be with their, they want to be independent. When your child has a problem and you can help them feel better and you can fix it, that is a great feeling as a parent. And when we're having parents do exposures, we're telling them, no, you can't fix it. You got to sit there and let them be upset. And if your child starts getting overly anxious or overly angry or needy, you have to walk away and let your child pull themselves together independently. And then when they're ready to keep facing their fears, then you can come back. But you can't tell them it's going to be okay. You can't relieve their anxiety because that stops them from learning that they can independently handle it. 
And that stinks. I mean, nobody wants to do that. So once we try to be honest about that from the beginning, we do exposures together so parents can learn that, yes, actually my child can get through this, but it's, it's hard. And that's why we include parents. Just telling them, oh, it'll be fine. Try it at home is not enough. You got to let them have the experience themselves that, yes, this is work and it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. You just answered my next question as well about reassurance. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that, so, so kind of the general idea is we do exposures in the session and we have them practice exposures at home. And during those, they are trying, you know, they're really focusing on this is what my child's going to do. He's going to touch these germs. He's going to have these, you know, say hi to these people or start these conversations or sit by themselves. And we are, we're, he thinks the dog's going to bite him. The germs are going to make him sick. His spirit, his anxiety will never go down. So we're going to test that. And during that exposure, I'm going to give him attention and warmth when he's sitting calmly and trying to face his fears. And I'm going to step back when he's not. And then when he's done, we're going to wrap it up and learn from it. And I practice those strategies as a parent during exposures in session and out. But the general idea is that we expand that just in life in general. When anxiety pops up, when OCD pops up, I help my child break it down to a small step, be clear about what's going to happen, don't fix it, help them set up a way to face their fears and learn for themselves, be warm, be calm, but be firm, and help make sure they pay attention to the fact that their fear didn't come true. And those, we want parents and kids just be doing that in general. You know, we sometimes mm-hmm. we call them on-the-fly exposures or everyday exposures that yeah. you don't fill out a sheet, you don't spend a lot of time repeating it, you just handle it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And learning that process that I don't just do it during plant exposures, we do it throughout life is is a real, it's kind of the end goal of what we are trying. Well, the end goal is kids to feel better. It is the step yeah. right before the end goal to yeah. keep, help them feel better and maintain that over time. Yeah, real life exposure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. Okay, and if you only had one piece of advice for, for people who might be listening, who uh, really want to help their children with OCD and anxiety, I know it's a bit of a tricky question, but... Uh, <laughs> what would that piece of advice be? How many how many how many attempts do I have to get this right? <laughs> as many as you want. <laughs> uh, so very self-serving. I'd say go get our book, Anxiety <laughs> Coach, Parent Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD, and read that. Because yeah. one, that can help you if things are mild and not too big a problem. Hopefully that book is enough to say, Oh yeah, I got it. Yeah, this is what th- now I understand why my child is washing their hands all the time or get so upset when it's time to go to a birthday party. And now I know what to do to help. And maybe we can handle this all on our own. Probably if, if anxiety and OCD is worse, probably more likely the book will help you say, all right, now I understand what I need to find. And I can go find a therapist to help me do that. Because as we were talking earlier, it's so hard to find a therapist who knows how to help kids face their fears. Yeah. Yeah. It's unpleasant for everybody. And most therapists don't go into mental health because they want to help kids be uncomfortable in the moment. They go because they want to help kids feel better. So it's a challenge. And also, it's a lot of pressure. You got 50 minutes and your goal is to figure out with the child, all right, what are we going to do that's going to make you uncomfortable? We got to stick with it long enough so that you feel better and learn from it. And we got to get that all done. And maybe you're not that cooperative because you're only eight and you're not really happy about this. So that's a lot of pressure. So most therapists, mm. Do other stuff that's easier. You know, talk about how you're feeling, do some relaxation, maybe tell you to do exposures on your own. So uh, a less self-serving answer to that question is to understand that helping your child, 
compassionately helping your child face their fears is the best solution for anxiety and OCD. Fantastic. And how can people go about finding a, a good therapist for, for their child? It does sound like it's quite, quite a challenge. Yeah. So there are a number of professional organizations that help that have find a therapist list. And there's no guarantee that those therapists will be good therapists or do exposure therapy, but there are organizations that focus on behavior therapy and exposure. So it's more likely. And so a couple of ways to find that is that we have a website that's available to everybody. It's called anxietycoach.mayoclinic.org. And through that website under anxiety coach, there's a find help. And we have some of those websites listed. And so the International OCD Foundation, IOCDF.org, is fantastic. They are like one of the leaders in training this how to do exposure response, and they have a find a therapist one. My other two is the Association for Behavioral and Therapies, ABCT.org. That's broader. So that's OCD, anxiety, depression, any mental health concerns. And those therapists in that organization are focused on behavioral and cognitive therapies, so they're more likely to to do exposure. And both of those, you can search in your home area for a therapist. That's great. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, really great talking to you. One more time, can you just mention the name of your your book, um, please, and where people can can find it? Yeah. Anxiety Coach, A Parent's Guide to Treating Childhood Anxiety and OCD. And again, my name is Stephen Whiteside, and the book will be out April 16th. 2024 and you can find it on um, amazon. amazon and through mayo <laughs> clinic press yeah fantastic okay well Stephen, thanks again and yeah it's been great talking to you oh my pleasure thank you so much for having me just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session and now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer any information that you view on my website instagram page facebook group or anywhere else online or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional. 